this week we're continuing on with Hosea in chapter six. Uh, but knowing that there's some visitors today and just to give ourselves some helpful context, I wanted to do a, a quick flyover of, well, the, the whole Bible um, in like four minutes. Let's see if we can do this. So if we use the stage as kind of a timeline, see if the cameraman, am I still in frame? Yes. Okay. We'll say like right here, right? We'll call this the beginning. First words of the Bible in the beginning, God created. God created heavens and earth and sky and land and sea and all the animals uh, in the sky and land and sea and everything that we see and experience and touch and feel and all of that good stuff. God created in the beginning, but it also says mankind was created in God's image. There's a, there's a special relationship that uh, men and women have with God because we're created in his image. And at creation, everything was good. In fact, God pronounces it very good. Everything was perfect. And I think it's kind of hard for us to imagine what that looks like because we live in, well, a, a not perfect world. And that's because that, you know, so creation's here. It's like the first two and a half chapters of the Bible. And then like we move over just a little bit. We get to the fall. Uh, many of us are probably uh, aware that uh, Adam and Eve, uh, the first man and woman, they make some poor decisions and they sin. Uh, now, sin actually, uh, I don't know if you know this, sin is actually an archery term, uh, you know, like bow and arrow stuff. So if, if you're shooting down range and you miss the target, you miss the bullseye, that's called sin, okay? For Adam and Eve, their target was trusting that God's ways were better than their own. Uh, you know, God had a command, don't eat of a certain fruit. I don't know why it's always an apple. I think it should be a mango. Mangoes are way better than apples, okay? But they decided to, to go a different way. They, they said, you know, I'm gonna trust in my own ways of living, my own decisive ways of thinking that uh, what God has established, mm, no thanks, I'm gonna do it my own way. That's called sin. Sin enters the world, we call this the fall. And there are consequences for sin. There's now death, there's now pain, there's now suffering, there's now sickness, relational strife, just general brokenness. But there's also a, a separation from God that has now occurred. Adam and Eve are actually booted out of the garden. Physically, you know, they, in, in creation, they used to walk with God in the cool of the day. They don't get to do that anymore. So there's, there's physical separation, but there's also now spiritual separation. And that affects us. That actually then moves us forward. So we have creation, fall. I don't know how long this is. Okay. Then we get to, we'll call it here. And we get this person named Jesus who comes onto the stage. Sorry, that was no pun intended. Um, <laughs> okay. Comes into our timeline. And, and Jesus was born... Virgin Mary, you know, so he's human, but he's also God's son. And so he is 
fully God and fully man. Scripture talks about how, how Jesus is actually one part of the, the triune God we call the Trinity. This is a, a, a beautiful, great, and wonderful mystery that we don't have a, a lot of time to, to unpack. But suffice it to say, Jesus was sent with a very particular purpose to offer a way back to God, to, to take this separateness and say no more. And he does this by being a sacrifice on our behalf, to, to be the expression and manifestation of God's love and mercy and justice all com combined. God demands a payment, a covering for sin so that we can return to be in that right relationship with God. And we call this part of the story redemption. God is redeeming his people back to himself. So creation, fall, redemption, and now somewhere over there, don't ask me how far, because I don't know, <laughs> is where we get to restoration. So Jesus dies for our sin, but he didn't stay dead. He goes back to his father in heaven, but he promises to return. And at that point, all things will be made new, full restoration. There's no more death, no more pain, no more tears, no more sin. Somewhere over there. But this encompasses the, the storyline of the Bible. The, the Bible has a lot of messages for us to, to kind of dissect and to chew on, but they all live in this grand narrative of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And the reason that I bring this up is because Hosea actually falls somewhere between the fall and when Jesus comes. So, uh, yeah, it works. Okay, so Hosea existing sometime between the fall and when Jesus comes. We have this nation of people, God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, chosen to be his agents in the world, but they're not making the best decisions. Uh, understatement of the world. They kind of have a, a, a habit of not making the best decisions. And so what happens is God sends people to Israel and to, to have messages uh, of of warning, of encouragement, of challenge, of accusation. We call these people prophets. You know, a lot of times we, we think of, thus saith the Lord, right? You know, the, there's a prophet with a, a specific message. Hosea is one of these prophets, and he does have a message for the people, but what's really interesting about Hosea is that he is commanded to exemplify in a physical way what is a spiritual reality. Israel is like an unfaithful wife, but God wants her back. So Hosea is actually commanded to go marry a woman who has had many lovers, who is publicly known to be unfaithful. So Hosea marries a gal by the name of Gomer. Now, again, remember, this is all taking place within the, the spiritual reality of Israel is like that unfaithful wife, but God is doing something about it. 
So chapters one and three, a quick synopsis, detail Hosea's relationship with Gomer. But again, also is describing in spiritual terms, God's relationship with Israel. And chapter three, I think is, is really poignant because uh, at some point, you know, Hosea marries Gomer and then something happens. Gomer's no longer with Hosea. She has returned to her life of many lovers. We'll call it that way. And Hosea is actually commanded to go get her back. But she has fallen into a life of slavery. So if we just take a moment, Hosea is commanded to go buy his own wife back from slavery. He is living out this example of what God desires to do for us. It's, it's beautiful. I encourage you to, to go listen to that sermon. Chapters four and five are, uh, unfortunately, a, a laundry list of uh, commands that God has for Hosea to, to speak out against Israel. And that brings us to chapter six, where we are going to spend a majority of our time today. So if you want to open up your Bibles to Hosea chapter six, uh, we're going to work through the whole chapter, uh, but the, uh, the words will be up on the screen. So uh, Hosea chapter six, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. Therefore, I cut you in pieces with my prophets. I killed you with the words of my mouth. Then my judgments go forth like the sun. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Like Adam, they have broken the covenant. They were unfaithful to me there. Gilead is a city of evildoers stained with the footprints of blood. As marauders lie in ambush for a victim, so do bands of priests. They murder on the road to Shechem, carrying out their wicked schemes. I have seen a horrible thing in Israel. There, Ephraim is given to prostitution. Israel is defiled. Also for you, Judah, a harvest is appointed. So we're gonna split this uh, into to three different sections uh, and we'll just uh, go through it. I'll make uh, some comments and some observations as we move through here. So the first few uh, verses here. Can imagine, you know, coming off of chapters four and five, Hosea has had a lot of warnings, a lot of, hey, if you keep doing this, this is gonna be the consequence. And so it's kind of interesting now we have this language of now, let us return to the Lord. But I appreciate Hosea's uh, just reality check that he seems to fully know the cause and effect of 
sinful consequences. Look at this. He, the Lord, has torn us to pieces, but he, the Lord, will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. It, it's fascinating to me that he know who is behind the enactment of the consequences while also knowing who can bring healing and binding, revival and restoration, ultimately resulting in being in his presence again, being in relationship to God. There's a call to action to acknowledge the Lord. But if we keep going, if one through three was being spoken of from Hosea's perspective, four through six is now God's response. It's actually a different voice speaking. You can kind of hear the exacerbation like in, in the voice. What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Ephraim and Judah, different names for Israel at this time. Can you hear the angst and the frustration from God in this moment. I particularly like this. Out of the angst, another accusation. Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. How faithful is the love of God's people? It doesn't even last until nine or 10 in the morning. But if we compare that to the faithfulness of God, as surely as the sun rises, God will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Something that doesn't even last till 9 a.m. versus, you know, the continuously rising sun. There's this chasm of difference. But if we keep going on, it's, it's hard to then look at how this is being described almost as like uncreation. Instead of being made whole, they're being cut to pieces. Prophets are supposed to bring words of life, but they are being cut to pieces. I killed you with the words of my mouth. As much as God is a God of love, he's also a God of justice and justice demands that sin has consequences. In another translation there, um, it says, my judgments flashed before you like lightning. There's, there's terror and there's awe of God's judgment, his holy judgment. So we have Hosea in the beginning, given a call back to Israel, return to the Lord. And then this, this vision of this angst of, of God, what, what can I do with you? But in the midst of this, in, in verse six, we get this unveiling of God's character. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. We normally don't do this, but I think for a helpful framework, mercy is maybe not actually the best translation of this word. Uh, I think something a little bit better would be, for I desire a steadfast love 
or a faithful love or, or a personal favorite. For I desire a loyal love. Uh, Tim Chester uh, wrote a commentary on Hosea uh, that we've been using, says it this way. God wants our love, not our sacrifices. Think about a human marriage. Which husband wants a wife who serves his meals at six every evening, but does not love him? Who wants a wife who serves with resentment, who serves while she dreams of the lovers she wishes she could have? Who wants a cold, loveless marriage of mere formality and duty? Religious duties without love for God are an attempt to manipulate or bribe him. God does not want our rituals. He wants our hearts. So not only is this a revelation of God's character, a desire for a loyal love, I also imagine Hosea's call to return to the Lord was met with, I know how this works. We've done this before. I'll sacrifice a bull. And then we're good, right? It's very transactional. But that isn't what God says. For I desire a loyal love, not sacrifice. This brings us to vending machines. Hence the question. I think a lot of times, and I, I think we can see in the passage here in Hosea, that they were almost treating God like some cosmic vending machine. Like some formula that, that if I put in two coins and press C4, I get out potato chips. That if I do X, I get Y. If I do this, God, you are expected to hold up your side of the bargain. And what's, what's interesting is like, okay, I went down a bit of a bunny trail with vending machines. This can, this can have an effect on our lives where we're not just thinking about potato chips or Snickers, thanks Dan, or soda. I saw this in the airport when I was like, an iPhone? You buy an iPhone, actually multiple iPhones, in a vending machine at an airport. I don't know why. I don't, I don't get it. Okay, personal favorite. This exists somewhere. How dangerous is this? Drew and I were actually trying to discuss, like, are they pre-made? And is this just like some industrial microwave that it just heats it up as it spits it out? Um, I don't know, but I kind of want to find out. This one, though, this one had to be one of the weirder ones. Mashed potatoes with gravy. And it's kind of hard to see up on the top. It says, promotion extended by popular demand. This is at a 7-Eleven. I don't know who's getting mashed potatoes and gravy at a 7-Eleven. But there's this element of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something, I'm going to pay money, and I'm going to get whatever I want, be it a burrito out of a machine or mashed potatoes at my local gas station. But that's all transactional, not relational. And in verse six, again, to, to bring it back to this, God is saying, that's not how my economy works. I desire loyal love, steadfast love, faithful love, not some transaction. 
We'll bring it back to, to this character of God here in a moment. We'll, we'll finish up seven through the, the end. I appreciate how seven just immediately starts off like Adam. All the way back, like Adam, this is not new. Sinfulness and the consequences of sin, not new. Brokenness is not new. And the rest of it just describes the absolute pervasiveness of how this just infects all of life. From the low to the high, even the priests, the people who are supposed to believe professionally holy are being called out. They're guilty. Now remember, Hosea is a living microcosm, a parallel of God's relationship to humanity. Sin entered the world at the fall, resulting in brokenness, but it exposes the human condition. We all do this. I do this. And it's a problem. And problem in need of a solution. And that's where we get to crescendo Hosea through this storyline of the Bible and into the future. I want to share with you uh, a passage actually in Matthew where Jesus quotes verse 6. It's Matthew chapter 9. Now, quick context, it's going to reference something called a tax collector. A tax collector during Jesus' time mm -mm, looked down upon. It was a very, very shameful thing. They're in cahoots with uh, the ruling Romans. And, and if you even associated yourself with them, you are, you are also considered sinful and unclean and all sorts of nasty stuff. So that's a little bit of context. But here, Matthew 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees, kind of the ruling religious people at the time, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. This is where he quotes Hosea. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus again reveals God's character, God's heart, that it's, it's not about the sacrifices, it's not about the rituals, it's not about what we do or even who we're associated with, but it's about our unfaithfulness, our sickness. He calls it the sickness. I'm sick, you're sick, and we're in need of a doctor, a faithful doctor who can heal us. And what's even crazy, we then crescendo this aspect further This Dr. Jesus heals us by taking his righteousness, his perfect life, and giving it to us. Consider this analogy. That's supposed to be higher. Anyways, these are kidney beans, okay? 
Uh, and I put these up here because I thought this would go better than actually putting a picture of a real human kidney. Okay? I, I have kidney stones. I've had 15 to 20 in the last eight years. I know. I don't need your pity, but from your kind of, okay, it is not a club that anyone wants to be a part of. Okay. But imagine I go to a doctor, you know, I'm having like a kidney stone, I'm in pain, I'm writhing, uh, all of that. And the doctor says, tell you what, I have a perfectly functioning kidney. I'll give you mine and, and I will take your dysfunctional one. That's nuts. That's crazy. That's not how doctors work. I don't think I'm not a doctor. Okay. Um, but but this exchange actually is how it does work. Second Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin, this being Jesus, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that in him, united in him, relationally connected, spiritually connected to him, acknowledging him, we might become the righteousness of God of God. So if sin, going back to the archery thing, if sin is missing the target by exchanging the truth of God for a lie, something that's godly and holy and righteous for something that is of our own self-filled pursuits and desires. If that's sin, that, that great exchange, the gospel says that there is an even greater exchange of our sinful depravity for God's righteousness through the sacrifice of Jesus. That just like God's people back in Hosea, we are unfaithful, but God is faithful. We are like the morning mist. He is like the rising sun day after day after day. Left to our own devices, we sin and run to anything but God. Jesus, left to his own devices, is the embodiment of this loyal love so that people can be redeemed back to himself. And the thing that we're called to do is to acknowledge this, uh, I like how the, the book, uh, Gentle and Lowly, we uh, uh, gave this book away last week uh, by Dane Ortland. We actually still have some copies uh, in the back if you'd like to grab one uh, after the service. He says it this way. Oh, that's supposed to be further down. Anyways, it is the most counterintuitive aspect of Christianity that we are declared right with God, not once we begin to get our act together, but once we collapse into honest acknowledgement that we never will. I hope you hear the freedom in that quote, that you never do it. There's no amount of right living, no amount of being a good person that you can achieve that will make you right with God, but there is Jesus. And that's the good news of the Bible. And if you're able to acknowledge this, there's new life and you can start living that now. We don't have to wait for restoration. There's new life that can be had now empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
not out of obligation or ritual or an attempt at some vending machine-like transaction, but out of relationship. Now, maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never acknowledged your need for Jesus. I definitely encourage you to consider that and do so this morning. Um, But even if you have, I'd encourage you to acknowledge your need again and again and again, because the temptation I think is to go back and, and think through and believe if I just do X, that I'm good with God. God has already done something. He sent his son, Jesus, and God has invited us into a new life, a different life that's relational and not transactional. So as we come to the end of our time, uh, actually invite the, the worship team to, to come on forward. A couple questions for you to ponder, and somewhat coincidentally, it's the same two questions that Pastor Drew put forth to the Van E family. It's the Savior and Lord question. Have you today acknowledged your sickness and your need for a doctor? Are you now trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the fulfillment of his promises to you, even eternal life? Is Christ your savior? Or are you trying to functionally be your own savior by trying to create these transactions? But then the second one, Is it now your intention to follow Jesus as Lord over your life and obey his teachings, not out of obligation, but out of relationship? So these are the same two questions that we ask parents when they're dedicating their child, when someone chooses to to get baptized, to express publicly their faith in Jesus. And I think uh, these are two poignant questions for us today from Hosea. So uh, let's pray and then we'll continue on. Lord, thank you for this time that we've had together in Hosea. What an absolutely beautiful picture of the gospel that you are the embodiment, the manifestation of this loyal love when we couldn't be. And yet, Father, I pray that you would embolden us, empower us through your spirit to live out our relationship with you and out of our relationship with you, that our lives would reflect this loyal love, not because we have to, but because we get to. To know that we have a good father who cares for us and desires to be in right relationship with us so much that you sent your son to die for us on our behalf. May we be encouraged by that good news this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.